number of years ago during a family vacation, there was an amusement park nearby and we spent one of our days there. One of the rides that attracted our attention uh, was a, a large boat, probably you would hold 50 or 60 people, that simply swung back and forth. But as we watched it, we, we saw it. Well, you know, there's, there's something to this. It went just a little bit beyond vertical. Well, our girls were quite young at that time, so we got in line. It was a long line. It was a hot day, but uh, okay, this one looked like it would, might be worth the experience. And as we continued watching group after group in front of us go back and forth, I felt a little tug on one of my sleeves. Daddy, I don't think it's safe. (laughs) Well, I gave some fatherly assurances. uh, I'll protect you, that kind of thing. Uh, I thought she'd be okay. But she wasn't okay. She protested again. And, And so I said, well, look. Nobody's falling out. (laughs) This is really okay. Well, I thought, now we're all right. I didn't hear anything more until we got right up to the front of the line. our, Our turn would be next. And that's when she announced, I can't do this. And there was a desperation in her voice. We didn't realize it at the time, but at that moment, we were facing a category of spiritual crisis that God's people confront regularly in life. Us, our family, us, our church family. There are similar dilemmas that we face, but so often we're just not alert to it. What's the issue here? It's that a self-centered pursuit of our own interests can inadvertently cause harm to somebody else. I want to do this. But to fail to take into account that somebody else maybe can't. Not just that That person won't. They can't do that. Not without serious damage. Now, based on earlier verses we saw even last week in Romans 14, you may conclude that a certain activity or a certain personal standard is good. And as we saw last week, would it, you're, you're convinced it would actually bring honor to the Lord if you participated in that activity or adopted that particular standard. But another believer might be hesitant, thinking there, there might be something wrong with that. And that individual, if you proceed, might be tempted to follow your example despite that kind of hesitation, uh, that, that uncertainty. 
whereas some believers might disagree with your conclusion and think, I don't think that's a good thing to do, but they can take the admonition that we saw also earlier in Romans 14, going all the way back to verse 3, that said, you just need to accept the differences that other people have. Many people have that capacity. All right, you do that, but it's not for me. But there are some, we find out, for whom they can't just let that go. There's a vulnerability in their heart that says, well, I want to, but I don't think it's right. And may well be tempted to do it anyway because of you. Our natural response is what? Just go ahead and do what you want. The the world regularly assures us uh, we have that right. From God's perspective, though, that's not a right. It's literally a wrong. It is a sinful abuse of a personal privilege. Now, in this last section of Romans 14, Paul introduces this additional responsibility, this additional category of concern that God expects us to factor into every decision that we make. And he reminds us a few times in this passage that Christ died to save. From sin. The responsibility that places on you among God's people is that you must strive to strengthen fellow believers. The corollary, the negative corollary to that, and many times it's said negatively in this passage, is that means you must choose not to do things that might lead somebody else astray. Verse 13, Paul's drawing a conclusion here based on everything that's gone before in this chapter. It says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Not pass judgment. That sound familiar? That's the criticizing of people that have scruples or standards or are participating in activities that you think is wrong, or that you think are, are, are just fine and that person won't do it. He has, in so many words, already prohibited judging one another. But apparently, the Lord isn't sure that at this point in Romans 14, we've gotten victory over that. And so he adds in those last few words, any longer. You've still got work to do here. There's still some lingering uh, criticism that are lingering, looking down on somebody else that he still wants us to, to clear out. Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. But now he moves into this new category. But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance 
in the way of a brother. There's a word play here that doesn't show up in English and our translators used the right word, but the one that they translate as decide is actually the very same word that showed up in the first part that said, don't pass judgment on one another. So Paul is actually saying, stop passing judgment on other people and instead turn that judgment onto yourself and analyze yourself And the result of that ought to be that you decide you're not going to do something anymore. What's that something? To put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of of a brother. The stumbling block or the hindrance here is talking about something that just doesn't cause somebody to, to, to kind of trip a little bit and just catch themselves and, oh, I've got to be more careful. This stumble here is a deliberate tra- trap that somebody could set. It's a trap with bait in it. And it's a trap designed to capture and put to death. Who would do such a thing? What, who among God's people would take an action understanding that it could well lead to the death trap? Somebody caught in a death trap uh, that is a fellow believer. Nobody would do that purposefully, but we could do it carelessly. We could do it without thinking because all we're thinking is, what do I like? What do I want to do? Your, your choice can be harmful to somebody else. Verse 14 tells us that it is even possible that good things can be sinful for someone else. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus. Here's Paul now about to tell us. His convictions on a particular topic true, and this is something he knows, he's convinced, and it's all in connection with Christ, which is, of course, the standard that we saw in our passage last week. The standard is not, what do you like? What do you prefer? What would make you happy? What would make you more comfortable? The standard is, what would bring Christ the most honor? So that's what Paul is applying here. So he says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus. There's the key. What's he persuaded about? That nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Paul is thinking back to his first example earlier in this chapter, whether it is okay to eat meat or not. And having thought it through and consulted the Lord, Paul's concluded it's fine. In fact, there's nothing that God has created that is inherently sinful. All kinds of food. It's all good. God God never put anything in this world that is inherently wrong. 
So there's Paul's conviction, but here's the twist. This is crucial. If someone thinks it's wrong, for that person it is. That person is mistaken, it's not wrong, but he thinks it is, which means he can't eat it. If he does, he has sinned against God. There's what's at stake. So already Paul is saying, you need to be aware that some people are at risk. We have a wide variety of spiritual maturity levels among us, and that's true in every church family. Furthermore, for every individual, there is a wide variety of decisions that they have to make, and nobody is in the strong category about everything. We've all got our blind spots, areas that we're just not seeing clearly, but we still have to make a choice on some of those things. Some people are at risk of being led astray. So you must guard your influence on others. Furthermore, in verses 15 and 16, that means you've got to strive to be alert to when somebody is vulnerable. When is another believer not just okay with, all right, you do that, I'll do this, we're all good, we'll stay in harmony together. But when is it somebody that actually is vulnerable to being tempted in the wrong direction by your example? You've got to sense, then, the weaknesses of others. So Paul proceeds, then, with his example. He says, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Now, we've got to consider that word grieved. Your brother is grieved. Our tendency there might be to say, all right, so he's kind of bothered by it. Get over it. But that's not the category of, of, uh, of vulnerability Paul has in mind. What he means by grieved becomes clear as Paul piles on other words for the very same episode. In fact, even in this verse, there's another one. Let's go ahead and look at that. The rest of verse 15 By what you eat, do not, there it is, destroy the work of God. We're not just talking about a temporary setback here. The potential is spiritual ruin. Later, he's going to use the word condemnation. And that describes the final judgment where somebody is consigned to hell. But, oh, wait, I thought we are talking about fellow believers. Fellow professing believers. It's not that a, a genuine believer is in danger of losing his salvation. But somebody that is perhaps being drawn to the Lord could be redirected in the opposite. Who's responsible? 
Paul says you could be responsible. You could cause serious damage, irreparable damage. This individual could not just be distressed, he could be ruined. Furthermore, verse 16, you could cause slander. Slander not to another person, but to the gospel itself. Verse 16, he says, so do not let what you regard as good, okay, that's your conclusion on this particular activity or standard, eh, this is good. Don't let your conclusion about what is good be spoken of as evil. The spoken of as evil here is the derivation of our word, blasphemy. Blasphemy against God, against the very gospel that saves souls. Look at the damage then that could cause. My very first year of teaching at the seminary level, actually this wasn't a seminary class, this was a senior Bible major class. I had 75 students in there, and I was teaching them on the subject of worship. We hit upon a particular verse that said that prohibits images uh, in worship. And at that point, I heard a question, uh, a raised hand, a student voiced, and, and it was clear there were a few others that were thinking the very same thing. What I heard in that question was, isn't it idolatry to look at a portrayal of Jesus? He, he explained, Jesus is God, right? And we're not to make any image of God. And so if you look at a painting, a drawing, any representation of Jesus... Isn't that idolatry? Well, it was a question. So, a, a teacher, you want to give an answer. My, my instinct was to explain why it's not. And I was sure that it's not. But as I was engaging in that a little bit of back and forth, I, I realized, wait a minute, I, I might be overstepping Romans 14. If this individual has qualms about looking at a portrayal of Jesus, I don't want to be in a position, I can't be in a position of assuring him it's really okay, just go ahead and don't worry about it. Now, if he's not sure it's right, he needs to be concerned about it. And so I just, I'm going to stop rationalizing. I'm going to stop explaining myself here and just say, if you'd like to talk about this further, uh, and where I could do so more tactfully uh, and without violating this principle, that's where, we, that, that's where we brought that discussion to a conclusion, which then should cause us all to think, I wonder if looking back, I wonder if I've ever done that. 
Wonder if I've ever made choices oblivious to the impact it could have on somebody else. Lord, have I violated this? The Lord brings something to your mind. Maybe it's so far back. Maybe it's distant. Maybe it is something you can't fix with that individual. You can still ask for God's forgiveness for that. At the very least, we can ask for God's help. Would you help me be sensitive to the, to the concerns, the, the, the conclusions that others, the vulnerability that others might have? You might think, well, if the Lord has led me to that conclusion, don't I have to be practicing how he leads me? Don't I, don't I have to do that? I'm not going to claim a right, but am I not obligated to live the way that God has directed me? Well, Paul has a, a little wider view of that, and he shares that in verses 17 to 19. It tells us that God's kingdom is what counts here, not you pursuing your interests, your conclusions. Discern the true realities, he tells us. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Wow, put those two things side by side. You have some, some freedom to choose whatever food is available. And your eyes get big at the prospect of all the choices and all the good things that you can enjoy. But put that beside righteousness. The key theme of this entire book of Romans, the righteousness of God. How to get it how to portray it in our lives. Peace, wholeness, fullness, joy in the Holy Spirit. Okay, between those two, not too hard to see which one is more important. Focus on the Spirit's goals. That's what he's after. Not pleasing you, Not your preferences, your comforts, your desires. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Focus there. Furthermore, verse 18, focus on the Savior's work. What's the Savior at work doing? Whoever thus serves Christ. The thus here refers to being willing to limit your own pursuits in order to better accomplish and at the very least not hinder what Christ is trying to do. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God. (laughs) That would be great, wouldn't it? Everything I choose, God looks at that and he approves. There's our goal. 
and approved by men as well. That is, those that themselves are striving to honor God are not going to look at that choice of self-limitation in order to pursue the, the, the Spirit's goals and, and to help accomplish the Savior's work and the lives of others. Nobody's going to look at that from that perspective and say, ah, oh, what a wimp. He didn't just go ahead and do what he wanted to anyway. He didn't assert himself. Now, that kind of behavior gets the approval of men. Self-sacrifice looms large in the eyes of even the unsaved world. So discern the true realities and then based on that, in verse 19, then you choose to advance the right priorities. What are those? He identifies them for us. So then let us pursue what makes for peace. Peace here is likely peace among God's people. Rather than causing problems among God's people, Highlighting differences, disagreements, letting them fester. Let's pursue the things that make for peace. Let's choose the options that bring peace among God's people. And, he adds in, for mutual upbuilding. Upbuilding here is in contrast to the down-tearing that he's prohibiting throughout this passage. Instead of tearing down the spiritual work, the building that Christ is trying to erect in the life of another believer, Christ is erecting and you're knocking it down. Instead, make choices that promote mutual upbuilding. You being concerned about strengthening the other. But what's the word mutual mean there? In that process. You making the choice to limit yourself for the good of someone else and for the cause of Christ. In that very decision, you will grow as well. That's a leap of spiritual maturity. That's the mutual upbuilding. So help unify the church family. There's Christ's burden. Pursue the things that make for peace and help edify the church family. The things that build up That, of course, involves some difficult choices. But too often we ask the wrong question. Looking at a particular activity, what's wrong with it? I don't see any problem with that. That's the wrong question. Let's rephrase that to, how can I help? 
How can I encourage someone else? How can I make sure that I am not a stumbling block? That I'm not putting a roadblock in the spiritual growth pathway of someone else? How can I help? How can my choices make a difference? Does what I'm about to do, is that going to harm or is that going to help a vulnerable fellow believer? Well, if the goal is to unify and edify our church, the next question may be, what does that actually look like? What can I do to help achieve that goal? And here Paul is, he's going to do some reviewing in these last few verses. Once again, he's pretty sure we're not going to get it the first time he says it. So he is going to do some reviewing, but he's also going to draw some conclusions and give us some uh, direction. So verses 20 to 23, your standards, your choices, uh, your, the, the options that you actually have between you and the Lord, and they are legitimate, your standards actually are a choice. You are not obligated to pursue those things that you have freedom to do. Here's your obligation. Protect the weak from sin. See what's going on here? God is placing on all of us a responsibility for everybody else. I don't want that kind of responsibility. Well, let me remind you what we saw last week, that Christ is the one in charge here. He's not only in charge of the world, he's in charge of you. If you have trusted him as Savior, he's your Lord. And he says, you've got that responsibility. You can't shirk it. Protect the weak from sin, which means avoid the sin. And this would be a sin on your part. You have to avoid the sin of ruining a soul. Do not, he says, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. (laughs) Once again, you put those two side by side. Food, the work of God. They don't measure up. Everything is indeed clean, he says, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Uh, leading that person to violate their conscience, their sense of what is right and wrong. Don't do it. Avoid the sin of ruining a soul. Verse 21, pursue the good by denying yourself. This is what I'd like to do, but I'm not going to do it. It is good, he says, not to eat meat, or drink wine, or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Uh, I feel compelled to, to say once again, just to keep this in perspective, this doesn't apply to everybody that might disagree with you. 
There are many that have uh, a, a sufficient spiritual maturity to see you doing what they think uh, might not be the right thing, and they're not tempted. They're okay. They're stable in how they feel God has directed them. But what he's talking about throughout this passage, and particularly here in verse 21, is those that are vulnerable. Those that might follow your example, even though they shouldn't. It is good, then, in that case, in front of those people, not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now, I also feel compelled to give one little asterisk here. It's hard for me to see a reference, a positive reference to drinking wine without just explaining very quickly that was wine in the first century. Natural fermentation. They had nothing else available. It was a minuscule amount of alcohol compared to modern alcoholic beverages. What Paul says in these verses about everything's clean, everything God made is good. God did not make modern alcoholic beverages. Sinful people, fallen people, have created this. What God made was safe. What man makes is dangerous, destructive. All right, that's my asterisk. Okay. Uh, so that's why Paul can say, uh, and, and even here, even the, the, the version of wine that, that was okay, he says, but it'd be even better not to drink that or eat food that could cause your brother to stumble. He's talking about denying yourself. And notice, it's not, he's not just concerned about food here. He adds in, or do anything. Where are the limits on anything? I don't think they exist. Paul starts with just this little category, food and drink. Or anything that might cause your brother to stumble. There aren't any limits to what you might limit in your own practice for the sake of a fellow believer. Protect the weak from sin. Verses 22 to 23, protect yourself from sin. Two dangers here in these two verses. You have to avoid them both. It says, the faith that you have, and faith here is your conviction that something is actually okay. okay. You believe, having checked with the Lord, this will not only be okay, this is not just, all right, this is going to promote the cause of Christ. This activity, this standard, the faith that you have, you believe this is good. But the faith you have, he says, when there's a vulnerable believer around, the faith that you have, keep between yourself 
and God. You're with that other believer. He might come by. You're on guard. I'm not going to do it because I will not lead that brother astray. So there's no flaunting. There's a privacy here if there is danger to someone else. Keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Paul is here anticipating someone who has something in mind and a vulnerable person in mind, and he says, I'm not going to do it. I am not going to utilize my decision, my perspective, to cause the destruction of somebody else. And he said, blessed is such a person. He has no reason to pass judgment on on himself because of his care and his exercise. And verse 23, not only practice your freedom with discretion, but verse 23, limit your practice to those things that are certain. Paul says, I know and am persuaded. We saw that earlier. And anything less than that is off limits. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith. In contrast to verse 22. For whatever does not proceed from faith, from being convinced, that is, I'm I'm 80% sure this is okay for me to do. Then the answer is no. 80% is not good enough. Anything less than 100% convinced. No doubts. Anything less than 100% It's no, not doing it. I think we normally look at this verse from the standpoint of the weak. All right, the weak have limitations, and yeah, they might be tempted, but no, don't do it if you aren't persuaded. But I think this applies to the strong, as Paul has not referred to the strong here by by that label in this passage, but to those individuals that, uh, that feel like, yeah, I think this is all right, that even and then, the, yeah, I feel okay about this. Okay? That doesn't quite sound like I know and am persuaded. Don't be satisfied with anything less. That's the kind of certainty that if you check with Christ, that's the kind of certainty he can direct you to. And until or unless you get there, I'm not doing it. A man told the story that he he took a shirt out of the closet and he held it up to the light. I think this is clean, but... I'm not really sure. He took it over to the window, get a little better view there. 
yeah, I think it's okay. And then his wife came in the room and, and he said, I think this shirt is okay. What do you think? Her response was, I don't even care to look at it. If it's doubtful, it's dirty. If an activity is in any sense doubtful for you, I think it's probably okay. No, you don't do it. If it's doubtful, it's dirty. Our family did have a choice to make that day at the amusement park. We could insist on the opportunity to enjoy the ride, and I was pretty sure I could compel her to, and I'd make sure she feels comforted. We could do that. But we had lots of reasons why we thought we shouldn't have to. 45 minutes in line, hot day, Hundreds of people watching us. Furthermore, there was no exit. There was no turning around in that line. There was no way out. The exit was on the other side of the boat. But most of all, we wanted to ride that boat. What would everybody else think? So we proceeded. We were finally invited. Come on up, said the attendant. Your turn. We got up there. And we all stepped right through that boat and walked to the exit. Now, it wasn't a full victory. I, I remember feeling a little bit miffed. Okay. <laughs> To this day, I've never been on that boat. (laughs) But we knew we had done the right thing. It was one person that had a problem, and she was important to our family. That's the perspective that God is urging in this passage. It's not about you getting what you want. It's about building up God's people, keeping them from sin. Your brother or sister in Christ is not a nuisance. He's not a fool. He's someone Christ died to save. Love them. Do what you need to do to strengthen them. Let's bow for prayer. Father, you know that we like it better when we think we can do what we want. So we ask your forgiveness for our self-centeredness. We ask your forgiveness when we have not taken into account the weaknesses, the vulnerabilities of others. Father, we ask that 
in our minds and our hearts, the value of a fellow believer would rise. Rise to the level of love that you have for us. Father, would you help us to be mindful of the sensitivities of others and to direct our steps accordingly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.